0: Greetings, my good people. How are you? What is happening? What's going on? What's the latest and greatest? How's everybody doing out there? Hope everybody's feeling fantastic and that your Monday's off to a tremendous start and you've come to the right place to listen to everything that's happening in the world of sports with yours truly, Jay Reels, here, the host of the Jay Reels Podcast. For my first-timers, welcome aboard. And for those who've been banging with me for now 113 episodes, I welcome you guys back. Again, it's a Monday, February the 10th, in the year of our Lord 2020. The J Reels What's the Deal segment That's right What to expect here over the course of the next hour On this episode is as follows XFL anyone? The reincarnation of the league that went defunct back in 2001 Had its opening weekend And to pretty decent reviews And I was out at MetLife Stadium yesterday To cover the New York Guardians So you'll get my two cents on that And can this league thrive the second go around? We'll see about that Also everything that's happening in Major League Baseball Whether it's the Mets ownership deal Or even pitchers and catchers this week as the Padres, I believe are the first team or one of the first teams that have the pitchers and catchers reporting. And the veterans will come in later on this week and into next week, everything that's going on in the NHL, especially at that Western conference, which looks like it's going to be a bitter fight to the end. As far as playoff seating is concerned, some college basketball, even some UFC. That's right. I'll sprinkle in a little bit of that at the end with John Jones. But now that we've entered the sports dead zone part one, where the NFL season is now in our rearview mirror and Baseball still another 4 or 5 weeks away We could concentrate on the winter sports And to kick us off here will be the NBA And I owe you guys another apology Seems like I've been doing that a lot over the course of the last few weeks But the Mia couple comes as the trade deadline Came and went last Thursday And here I am reporting about Of course all the trades that had taken place Especially the big ones when Miami And as far as the Clippers are concerned So the first trade we'll look at Is the one that sent Andre Iguodala and Jay Crowder to Miami where Memphis shipped Justice Winslow and Deion Waiters over to Memphis. Now, that was an ugly situation, or at least it turned out to be over the course of the last couple of weeks. Because as you know, Iguodala got sent to Memphis in the offseason last year with the whole Brooklyn deal, Kevin Durant going to the Nets, where D'Angelo Russell was sent to Golden State, we'll get to him in a little bit. So now Iguodala, to make some cap room, they had to send them to Memphis. He pretty much put himself on the shelf the whole year, did not want to report, did not want to play for the Grizzlies considering they were a young team and certainly not going anywhere. But when you look at the standings today, they're in the eighth seed in the Western Conference and granted they're not going to contend for a title, but it's just a bad job on Igor Dollar's part. And I don't care what people are going to say about player empowerment and he could do what he wants. He's on the contract. And he had 17.9 coming to him this year. Of course, I don't know how that shakes down in the whole ramifications as far as the Grizzlies are concerned but he figured that let me sit out I'll see if I can get a trade at some point and Memphis they were smart they didn't succumb to any of the pressure as far as getting rid of a player or looking at it from a standpoint of making sure that the player was taken care of and not looking at the team they looked at it and said well you're gonna have to sit there and suffer if that's the case and the suffer may be a bit of a strong word but you get what I'm saying Because when it comes to these players, they pretty much get their way when they want to, especially in the NBA. And nothing against Iguodala. But here's a guy who we understand has won three championships over that run when Golden State, including in finals MVP. But he's a guy that, although people could argue whether he's a Hall of Famer or not, and that's a discussion for another day. But he's not the type of guy that would just, when you look at the NBA landscape, he's not a guy that deserves to sit out or feels as if that he has the right to sit out despite the fact that he's had a lot of success here the latter part of his career. I mean, that's all there is to it. And I got nothing against Iguodala. We understand he's a great role player. He's a guy that's been in the league a long time. And despite the fact that he has been an NBA player for, I believe, what, 17 years, he still doesn't, I think, warrant any type of way to dictate where he wants to go or what he wants to do this stage of his career. I mean, that's all there is to it. But with that being said, he goes to Miami, which is certainly going to fortify that team. Miami's a team that a lot of people didn't think and it probably makes some hay in the Eastern Conference but not to the point where they could actually move up as high as two even though the Toronto Raptors would certainly argue that as they've won 13 in a row but we'll get to more of the NBA news later as far as this trade is concerned though this is a big trade for them because we know about his pedigree Iguodala that is we understand Pat Riley, Eric Spolstra and the culture that they build down there in Miami he will certainly you would think would be a good fit I'm sure there's going to be some rust. I know Eric Spolster did say that in the coming days, he'll probably be inserted in the lineup, slowly but surely. We get that he's more of a sixth man as it is. He's not a guy that's going to be starting unless they have some injuries that may take place over the course of the next few weeks. We got to see how that unfolds. But when you look at this trade, and also bringing in Jay Crowder, adds a little toughness, adds a little perimeter scoring for a team that's, Let's face it They're, they're lacking some permanent scoring And not to say Jay Crowder Is going to be confused with Steph Curry But He's a guy that could Certainly pencil in the lineup And will give you max effort On both ends of the floor And also with Iguodala Is certainly going to be A terrific upgrade For a team that's looking to Make some hay Here in the Eastern Conference Among the likes of Milwaukee Toronto Boston You don't even want to throw Philly in there Despite the fact that They've been struggling So it was a good trade for them and Memphis, they did the right thing. We get that they bring in players like Justice Winslow, who's a young player who had his moments but certainly didn't really pan out as far as Miami's concerned. And then Dion Waiters, who has a lot of talent but is also a headache on top of that. Who knows what's going to happen there. But you have a young team in Memphis that is on the come up. They're an eighth seed right now. And even though Iguodala did not want to report and didn't want to be a part of that team, Certainly, his influence would have helped. Now, would they contend for a title out West? Absolutely not. But still, it would have been a great influence for the younger kids to see a veteran, a guy who has been a champion. And I'm sure that would have benefited them. But how they looked at it is that, hey, we got a young team, whether we John Morant, whether with Dylan Brooks, who came out through Twitter and said, hey, if you don't want to be here, get out of here. I understand it was a little harsh to probably say that. But you know what? Good for them. That's a team that probably can make some hay. Down the road in the years to come. If they add a few more pieces together. And Memphis right now with the eight seed in the Western Conference. Certainly not looking to probably upset the apple cart. As far as the Lakers are concerned. If the season ended today. But you got to give it up. They've certainly done a great job in turning their season around. So kudos to them. But this is more about Miami than it is Memphis. And I think it's a very good upgrade for this team. Considering that you're going to need a little bit of toughness. And obviously you're going to have to have that championship pedigree which the Heat now does. Obviously, with Dwayne Wade retiring and having a guy like Iguodala who knows his way around, not only just about around the league, but also around contending teams, he'll certainly be a boom. Now, the other big trade last week was Marcus Morris going from the Knicks. And who would have thought that Marcus Morris would be a key piece in any trade? But he was with the Knicks. And he also went with Isaiah Thomas in a three-team deal with the Knicks, Clippers, and Wizards, where the Knicks get a number one pick. And we'll get to the Knicks a little bit later on as well where the Knicks get a number one pick, and Mo Harkless, who was a former St. John's player, so he comes back home, and also Jerome Robinson goes to Washington. But the this deal was more about Morris and securing perimeter help for a team that could use, and they have a lot of depth that it is to begin with, the Clippers, but he's another guy that you could add who could also take a big shot. He's not afraid of a big moment. He is a ball stopper, though, but again, he's not going to be the focal point on this team because we all know it's going to be Kawhi Leonard and Paul George and Crunch Time. He's just a guy that you could bring off the bench, who could give you 20 solid minutes, give you some scoring, could also play good defense. And I understand a lot of teams are in the mix to try to pick them up. Even the Lakers were a team that... So, and they certainly need a lot of reinforcements. I don't say a lot, it's strong. They certainly need some reinforcements, considering that we know that they're top-heavy when it comes to their team. And we know who the players are. We don't have to go through the whole roster. But the Clippers were the big winners here in that regard. And who knows, in a seven-game series, again, a guy like Marcus Morris, uh, nobody's going to confuse him with Scottie Pippen, but at the same time, he's certainly also a big upgrade considering the West is become very competitive, and a lot of people think that the Western Conference Final is going to be all LA-focused. So to have Morris there was a big plus for them, not going to the Lakers, and he's on the other side of LA, and will perform for the Clippers here down the stretch. To me, those are the two big trades That would have any impact on this whole playoff race Or certainly when you get into April, May and into June As far as the other trades are concerned The one trade that was big Maybe more so for the long term for Minnesota And Golden State as well Was D'Angelo Russell Going from Golden State to Minnesota To swap Andrew Wiggins Now I know Steve Kerr said that Wiggins is a better fit He scored 24 points in his first game As a Golden State Warrior Wiggins is a guy who was a number one pick overall, Kansas, who came out of college. It was not really ballyhooed, but certainly a lot of people looked at him going into college as being possibly the next big thing, and that has not translated into the pros in his six seasons in Minnesota. Now, who knows? Maybe he'll have a better fit in Golden State when you have guys like Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green. Maybe they'll nurture him along. Now Wiggins is a guy who plays small forward We all know that the backcourt is going to be crowded Especially with Steph coming back And Clay. I don't know if you're going to see him this year But this is a trade that's more for the long term Which I thought was a very interesting deal Because Wiggins is a guy who hasn't really panned out And has shown flashes And then D'Angelo Russell Who's a former All-Star And certainly did not Was not a good fit in Golden State Goes to Minnesota where you had Carl Anthony Towns waiting at the airport for him with the Minnesota Timberwolves D'Angelo Russell zero jersey and I don't know if that had to do with them playing the AAU circuit back in the day remember they both went to different colleges so it's not as if they were teammates on a college team so it looks like they were all arms and welcoming with open arms as far as having those two players play with one another and maybe that will be the antidote for a guy like Carl Anthony Towns who needs a point guard little pick and roll. Russell is more of a shoot-first point guard, but maybe that could be a marriage made in heaven for those two guys. So that may be a good deal for both down the road, so we'll see how that shakes down. If you're going to look at the Clint Capella deal where he goes to Atlanta, Robert Covington, I understand, could kind of be a under-the-radar type of move where Covington is a guy that played in Philly, then obviously was traded to Minnesota in the Jimmy Butler deal last year. Covington's a guy who... Not much of a shooter, but he's a good two-way player, more so on the defensive side, and with the Rockets, we all know that the big guns there, James Harden and Russell Westbrook are going to carry them to the, hopefully, end of the rainbow for them, but Cummington I think was a very good pickup as well, nothing sexy, nothing splashy, not to say he's going to be the one that puts them over the top, but just a good underrated move, we'll see how that translates as we get deeper into the season and into the postseason. And then if you want to look at Cleveland acquiring Andre Drummond. Now he's a free agent at the end of the year. So Cleveland looks like they're going to push all their chips to the middle of the table with him. I know Tristan Thompson is going to be, I think he's on his last year of his deal. So you pretty much say goodbye to Thompson. You bring in Drummond. He's a guy that's a rebounding machine. As you've seen, I believe he leads the league in rebounds almost 16 a game. So that's the the little deals there. And that's the one thing about the NBA trade deadline. You don't really have those blockbuster type deals. Not like baseball when you get that big pitcher or the big player that gets traded in the middle of the season. Same for the NHL and obviously NFL, although you've seen a lot of activity in the NFL more so before the trade line and at the trade deadline than you've seen in years past. But you're definitely not going to get that big blockbuster trade middle of the year. And I get in the years past, you've seen Boogie Cousins go before the deadline And how did that pan out down in New Orleans? So, here we are now with about roughly 20 some odd games to go the rest of the season. We have the All-Star break that's coming up this weekend. And the All-Star break is in Chicago. Obviously, with everything that's going to take place there, as we talked about last week with the Kobe Bryant and the tribute that they're going to have with the jerseys. And if I might add, they'll have the Kobe Bryant Memorial at the Staples Center two weeks from today, which is very interesting when you look at the date. It's going to be 2-24-20, two, which will be 2, the number of Gianna Bryant, of course, Kobe's daughter who perished in that crash, the number for Kobe Bryant, 24, and then 20, which is not only the year, but the amount of seasons that Kobe Bryant played as a Lakers. So talk about symmetry at its finest. So with the All-Star break coming up and now the trade deadline coming on, we can certainly focus on these teams in both conferences to see where it's uh, going to lie ahead as far as playoff positioning, as far as who's going to be in that spot to take the Lawrence O'Brien trophy. And there's still plenty of time between now and then. But the other news of note here in the NBA last week was Steve Mills, now the former president of operations at Masters Great Garden, at least for the New York Knicks are concerned. He's also been shown the door. So you had David Fisdale out. Now you have Steve Mills out. Scott Perry was the last man standing, and rightfully so, because he's done a very good job. Although it's been a little incomplete But Perry certainly has not shown a propensity to trade number one picks and just try to fix it all in one shot or certainly put a band-aid over a situation. But now the reports came in last week and it's official where Leon Rose, the former agent, uh, now former agent of many NBA players, is the vice president of basketball operations for the Knicks. And we all know what this is all about. If you have not seen the writing on the wall, and this comes to no surprise, When David Fisdale was hired to be the coach of the Knicks A lot of people thought that he was going to recruit A lot of these players to be a part of the fabric Of the Knickerbockers And try to turn their franchise around And that certainly was not to be the case So let's see if Leon Rose The guy who could certainly broker a lot of these deals For these players that are in the league To see if he could do so as a GM To bring these players to play on the Madison Square Garden floor Uh, If you're a Knicks fan Of course, I'm sure you're probably saying I'll believe it when I see it And rightfully so As we know, the Knicks are a disaster. They've done nothing in the last 20 years. And sadly, I get a lot of people don't want to put all the blame or all the eggs in this basket. But as long as James Dolan is the owner of this team, I'm sure a lot of players are either going to be hesitant, reticent, or certainly maybe look at New York, but then see where they could get the same amount of deal or the same amount of money elsewhere. I don't care if the good Lord comes down and shines his presence upon Madison Square Garden. These players are not going to come here. But if Leon Rose, who has the power Leon Rose, who knows the league inside out and upside down If he's going to be the guy that's going to bring Whomever's going to be on the free agent landscape Next year and the year after that We'll certainly see But I know being a Met fan And we're going to get to the Mets later on, of course Being a Met fan, I know I cannot trust his ownership And we will certainly see how that unfolds As we get into the free agency period Come summertime But that's between now and then As far as the league is concerned, NBA right now, the Toronto Raptors are like a runaway train and it's amazing to think that even with Kawhi Leonard and as happy as the fans were as the Toronto Raptors finally won that championship last year and we all had sung their praises and everything that had transpired, but for Toronto to have this run that they're on right now and we get 14 in a row, I think I said 13 earlier, it's actually 14 in a row Here's a team that you wonder, have they peaked? Now we get that they got some pieces back, including Pascal Siakam weeks ago, which was a key player on this team. We need to see whether or not that this Toronto Raptor team is just on this torrid run. Not to say that it's smoke and mirrors, but when teams have these type of runs, you kind of wonder and say to yourself, okay, is it going to be a thing where they kind of peter out and then they falter down the stretch and yeah, they may be successful in the postseason, but then They're burning the candle at both ends. So therefore, they certainly didn't have the consistency throughout the course of the season as opposed to just getting all these games in one shot or having a stretch where, let's say, they go 30-10. and And that's a very impressive stretch. That's 750 basketball. But we know that's not sustainable in the grand scheme of things when it comes to the dreaded load management, when it comes to resting certain players at certain times. And we get that. That's what the league is now. And the biggest player that was on that last year is now in LA with the Clippers. But with them nursing injuries and with them, you know, being on the mend, it's one of those situations that you got to keep your eye on if you're a Raptor fan or if you're a team that follows Toronto, knowing that with this hot streak and them putting themselves in really good position, although with the streak, they're only a game and a half ahead of Boston as far as the three seed is concerned. So they haven't really put a lot of separation and they certainly haven't gotten that close to the top of the East, where the Bucks, of course, reside at 45 and 7. So they're six and a half back, but be it as it may, you want to be two or three in the Eastern Conference just to avoid Milwaukee in the first or second round. So they put themselves in very good position as far as that's concerned. As far as the rest of the Eastern Conference, now I know that the we talked about the Heat before. Now the Heat recently, they've hit the Skids to the tune where they are just 500 in the last 10 games they've actually lost three in a row and Miami now is in that four five spot with Philadelphia who they actually beat last week and they won the season series three games to one but when you're looking at this from 30,000 feet you got to wonder which one of these top five seeds well let's say from two to six because I'll throw Indiana in the mix I'm not even gonna look at Brooklyn or Orlando when you're looking at 2 through 6 right now As we head into the All-Star break Which one of those teams could be the Foil to the Milwaukee Bucks In trying to make it to an NBA Final Because the Bucks right now Just like they did last year They're looking like the Strongest team not just in the East but of course in the entire league But we saw what happened with them last year Steamrolling through those first two rounds I mean think about it They swept the first round against Detroit They lost game one badly to Boston and then swept them and then they won the first two games of Toronto before they not only hit an abutment, but all four of their tires went flat and then were just faded off into the sunset rather meekly to where the Toronto Raptors, as we all know, went to the finals and won. Could that happen again this year? Now Milwaukee didn't really make any moves come the trade deadline. Nothing too significant. I know right now they're looking to see if they could sign Marvin Williams just for some depth. Now Marvin Williams, as we all know, is a number two pick back in what was it 2005 and he is not amount now granted he's still in the league and god bless him but he has amounted to nothing as a number two pick overall so i don't know how much help he's going to add to the bucks as far as that's concerned but really it's those four or five teams in the middle there which one of those could toronto do what they did to milwaukee last year if they were to play in a conference final boston who has now won seven in a row and boston they've had just a crazy season Celtics they get off to a great start They won all those games there early on Then they struggled there a little bit Then they got themselves on a winning streak Then back And they haven't really been healthy Now they've been carried by Jason Tatum of course But they've had injuries there Kemba Walker's been out of the lineup Gordon Hayward's out of the lineup earlier in the year But he's had some nagging injuries As well as Jalen Brown And we get that everybody has injuries I'm not shedding any tears for the Celtics Despite the fact I'm a huge Celtic fan But even with all that being said They've still been able to put together some good streaks and put themselves in a position where they're just a game and a half behind Toronto for the two seed we all know home court doesn't mean much anymore as I've said time and time again but when you're looking at a round two where chances are you may have to go up against Toronto it would be nice to have the extra home game but again, it's still a lot of basketball to be played Miami and Philly at the four or five we talked about Miami and what that trade could do with uh, bringing in Iguodala and then of course the Sixers who cannot seem to get out of their own way Sixers Here's a team that a lot of people thought They could be in the NBA Finals And they do They have the talent They certainly can get hot And just like I said before With the Raptors And how they played here Winning these 14 games in a row And granted that there's still plenty of time left in the season So what is it? 53 games So they have 19 games to go We understand a lot can happen Injuries, bad streaks, whatever But when you have this type of winning streak In the middle of the year you almost have to look at it and say to yourself, okay, have they tapped out? Have they reached their maximum potential here? Where on the flip side of that with the Sixers, and I'm sure a lot of people are already starting to throw dirt on them, watch them turn it around, and next thing you know, here we are three months from now talking about them in the NBA final. And that's how weird the game is. And the Sixers, look at this, this is for a team that was expected to contend for a championship, they have won nine games on the road. They're nine and nineteen. That is not championship material. And who knows? Will they be able to turn it on? Will they be able to turn it around at some point? It's weird with seasons. We could go through a lot of these teams. Whether you, even the St. Louis Blues, they were in last place. I understand a different sport. They were last place in January before they made a coaching move. They bring in Craig Berube, and the next thing you know, at a game seven in the Stanley Cup final on the road, they're hoisting it over their heads for the first time in forever. Can that happen to the Sixers? That's why they play the games. So that's what you pretty much got in the East. As far as the bottom half, you know, Brooklyn, Orlando, nobody's going to really look at them as any threats. And then Orlando has a three-game lead on Washington right now. And Washington, again, that's a team where they traded Isaiah Thomas, who's not going to really do much as far as the Clippers are concerned, but you, you don't expect much out of them, Chicago, Detroit, and then they have the rest of the Eastern Conference. As far as the West is concerned, Lakers are still... Holding the top spot there, and the Lakers still finding their way in the aftermath of the Kobe Bryant tragedy. Uh, but they are certainly in good stand there in the Western Conference, three games ahead of both Denver and the Clippers. There hasn't been a makeup date for that game. Remember, the Tuesday after Kobe's death was supposed to be the Lakers Clippers. Uh, I'm surprised that a, an announcement has not been made as far as a makeup is concerned. But uh, that's going to be very interesting, again, with those two teams as they could possibly meet in a conference finals, we know. Then you have Utah, Houston, OKC, Dallas, and then Memphis. Memphis is currently two and a half games ahead of Portland, who Portland got screwed out of a game there. I don't know if you saw that the other night against Utah, where Rudy Gobert is certainly goaltend. I mean, the layup was off the glass. How did they miss that is beyond me. Just an awful job by the refs. But they got screwed of a game. And Portland, as we all know, we talked about it last week, as far as Damian Lillard's concerned, he's been the hottest player in the league by far over the last three weeks plus. Uh, but then you have Portland and then San Antonio, New Orleans, if you think about them making a, a run here in New Orleans, it's kind of been up and down, although they've been up more lately, but they have a lot of ground to make up, five games in fact, just to even get to an eight seed. So a lot of the talk is going to be about Zion, a lot of the talk is going to be about the growth of him, and certainly there's going to be a lot of load management when it comes to him. In his rookie season. But right now out West. You're looking at what teams. I talked about the East. What team could upset Milwaukee. But you see it's a lot different out West. Because you have two teams in the Lakers and Clippers. That are expected to contend in the West. And possibly get to a final. I picked Denver at the start of the year. Denver certainly for all their ups and downs. And Nikola Jokic not having that MVP caliber season. That he did a year ago. They have certainly have played Phenomenally here And you got to give them credit For what they've done Utah I know it's hit the skids A little bit Despite the fact of Winning a couple games in a row Previously I believe They were in a Four game losing streak Prior to that And then uh, we'll see What Houston OKC and Dallas does I know Doncic Who's going to be out For a little bit longer With that uh, ankle sprain So the NBA Is going to get A little bit more interesting here As we'll get a break This coming weekend You can kind of Tune into the Not only all-star game Or the slam Dunk competition with three-point so you get a break from the NBA here, as the last few games are on Thursday, I believe. So let's take a quick look before we move on to the NHL. Right now, when you're looking at the league, any big matchups here this week tonight? Yeah, you got nothing really to shake at. Let's see, they didn't have that makeup game. Clippers and Sixers tomorrow, so that's going to be interesting to see if the Sixers could uh, hang with the Clippers. Now the game at home: Celtics and Rockets. So you got a couple of big games there tomorrow. But I know the last set of games will be on Thursday, Wednesday right now. Nothing to really shake a stick at. If you're going to be crazy about heat and jazz, Lakers Nuggets there on ESPN, 10 o'clock, which would be a good measuring stick for the Nuggets to see how they perform against the Lakers. And then you have Clippers Celtics there with Thunder and Pelicans before you get to the All-Star break. Now, as far as the NHL is concerned, as we turn our attention to the ice, the Western Conference, to me, is the big story right now. And I get that for the 20 hockey fans that listen to this podcast, if if there are 20, of course I joke, the Western Conference is going to be a jumbled, gigantic mess, unless there's going to be some separations here over the course of the next couple of weeks. And speaking of trade deadlines, I'm on top of it, people, the NHL trade deadline is two weeks from today. That's right, February 24th, 3 p.m., so I'll be focused on that from now until then. And it's sad because I'll have the podcast Out before the end of the deadline Maybe I'll try to stretch it as long as possible I usually like to record this first thing in the morning Before I even get started with my day But who knows We'll see what the trades will consummate Between now and then So I'll keep you guys abreast of it As we get closer The Western Conference right now Especially the Pacific Division Is one that is going to be A Royal Rumble to the very end Now I get this past week You had just a slight bit of separation But when you look at Five teams Vancouver Edmonton Vegas Winnipeg Calgary They're all separated By three points Now I'm hoping That Calgary Somehow squeaks In there And right now They currently Do have the uh, The second wild card I was going to say The fifth seed Because I'm looking at it From a division standpoint They do have the second Wild card But then after that You have Arizona Who's one point behind them At 61 points Nashville Two points behind At 59 Minnesota And then Chicago With 58 so, all those teams that are going to be in the mix, not only just for the top three spots in the Pacific, not only for the two wild card spots, but then you have three or four teams behind them that are looking to leapfrog one another to potentially get into the round of 16, or in this case, the round of eight in the Western Conference to make that push for a Stanley Cup. And as of right now, I, I couldn't even tell you, I could just pull teams out of a hat. And if it just so happened, could you see Chicago there? Now, Chicago... They've struggled here the last couple of years. We understand they've had the pedigree with the certain players on the team, the Jonathan Tays of the world, the Duncan Keiths, Patrick Keynes, etc. But the Blackhawks have not played well here in the last couple of years. But can they make a run? I'm sure Gary Bettman and company, they are praying that the Blackhawks get in because we all know an original six team is certainly going to help the brand and it's certainly going to help the league as far as visibility is concerned when you have any of the original six there contending for a Stanley Cup. And considering their success in the last decade, it would only boost ratings and only help them to have them play in the tournament. But that Western Conference is one that we're certainly going to keep our eyes on. We get it that we're in the East, me being here in New York, and you're going to look at what the Islanders are doing, even to a certain extent the Rangers and how they progressed as far as what the young players are concerned. And I'll get to the East in a second. But the West I find fascinating because whenever you have so many teams in the mix for just a handful of playoff spots, that's where you get a lot of the drama. And we understand that the NHL season is not over until the first week of April, so we still have plenty of time. I mean, technically we have, what, roughly, easily six weeks, maybe borderline seven weeks until we get to that point. And we get that a lot's could happen. It could be some separation. But unless a couple of teams just get piping hot to the point where they add that much more separation to the bottom feeders, or I don't want to say bottom feeders, but to those teams like Arizona or even Nashville, Minnesota, Chicago. But if you've watched sports long enough, why would you think that that would be different if the teams all of a sudden that are fighting for a postseason, unless they experience a lot of injuries or just happen to suffer through a bad losing streak? I mean, why would that trend be any different? Why would these teams who are certainly clawing, scratching, fighting Just to try to not only just stay relevant in a playoff race But try to get themselves into this playoff mix Uh, Unless again, the big injury comes through These teams are going to be here, I think, at the very end I mean, just look look at that Vancouver, Edmonton, Vegas, Winnipeg, and Calgary The top five teams in the Pacific Division They're separated by three points I could be on the air next week and Calgary will be in first place And Vancouver could be the second wild card. I mean, that's just how it is. You know, as far as the other divisions are concerned, you know, St. Louis. St. Louis, obviously, they played consistent and played well all year. They've hit a little bit of a tough stretch here to the tune where they're just three points ahead of Colorado in the central, and then Dallas is following them with 67 points. But you would think St. Louis, with everything coming off the Stanley Cup and not having any hangover, Unless they somehow, some way just fall off a cliff here, they're going to make the postseason. And chances are they're probably going to be the top seed in the Western Conference. But the other teams in the Pacific and the other teams that are going to be at the bottom there, whether it's Arizona, Nashville, Minnesota, Chicago, those are going to be that. I mean, that's going to be a fight to the finish. Now, you can't say that in the East, where the Bruins at 80 points, now they've overtaken. Now, granted, Washington has two games in hand, and Washington has been a force all year, but the Bruins now have 80 points, the top point getter in the NHL, as far as if you want to look at the President's Trophy, you all know that's a jinx when it comes to that, because usually teams that win the President's Trophy do not win Stanley Cups, but when you're looking at Tampa Bay and then Toronto, rounding out the top three teams in the Atlantic, you figure Boston and Tampa Bay, they're going to be fine, because with Toronto... The third team at 66 points, and then Tampa Bay at 75 to Boston's 80, they could pretty much cruise into the postseason, barring any mishap or injury or anything like that. As far as the Metropolitan's concern, the Capitals are at the top at 77, followed by Pittsburgh, who's continued to play well, 73. Columbus, they've now flip-flop with the Islanders as far as the three seed there, which is important because that means. Whenever you have those top three seeds You're going to get home ice For what that's worth as we all know Islanders right now Are a point behind the Blue Jackets there With 68 followed by Carolina 67 And unlike the Western Conference There is a little bit of a logjam there When you have Philadelphia at 67 And Florida 64 But then after that Montreal 61 And then you have the Rangers at 58 And everybody else So if you're the Islanders And an Islander fan like myself you wonder what Lulu Amarillo is going to do here as the trade deadline is two weeks away to bring some reinforcements here to put this team in a position where not only they could just make the playoffs, not only that they could just win a round, but to go deep. And we get they may have to mortgage some of the future. They're not going to mortgage any players on this team. We all know as an on fan that we don't want to deal with the Ryan Smiths of the world where we're trading number one picks for a guy that's a rental. Hopefully, Lou Mar- I mean, Lou Lamarillo knows a lot better than that and certainly knows a lot better than me. But the thing is, is that when you have a team that certainly has put themselves in a good position early on in the season to maybe be that team that could go deep into April and May or a team that could actually represent in the Stanley Cup final and for them to now know that they need goal scoring in the worst way, which was no surprise, because even last year after the first round against Pittsburgh, what was the one thing that... Killed them the most in that second round against Carolina. They couldn't put the puck in the net. And pretty much that's what the Islanders. Despite the fact that they got guys who could score goals. But they just don't have that goal score. I know that sounds a little bit strange. But that's so true. So we'll certainly keep an eye on that. As we uh, get that much closer to the deadline. And get that much deeper into the season. But uh, it will be interesting to know in the East. Unlike the West like I said. Whether it's Philly or even Florida for that matter. And Florida is a team that came into the season with a lot of high hopes. Joel Quenville the coach uh, the former coach of the Blackhawks who won all those cups as I said earlier and they certainly had a good start to their season they've been up and down they've kind of been a little schizophrenic when it comes to their play but the uh, Panthers are a team that even though they've lost three in a row here could certainly turn it on and that's the one thing about hockey it's weird because baseball as we all know is a day-to-day sport so when you watch it from afar even if it's a team that wins seven in a row It doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to put them in a position where they're going to be a contender. But with basketball to a certain extent, like I mentioned with Toronto, even though you don't know what the long-term effect is going to be, and even with the NHL, when you have teams that, just like Tampa Bay, who've put themselves now in a position where they probably don't have to worry about anybody else in the Atlantic, with Toronto now 10 points behind them, or 9 points technically, as winners of 6 in a row, pretty much being the hottest team in the league right now. I mean that's all it takes for them to One or two good weeks Could certainly put them in a position where Not to say that they're automatics Not to say that they're going to Represent a team in the east And particularly with Tampa But we all know that The playoffs are a big giant crapshoot But you got to get there first And We'll certainly keep our eyes on this Now as we're deep into the winter sports And it should be very interesting So now as we turn our attention to baseball As pitchers and catchers report throughout the 30 teams in the major leagues, whether your team plays in Arizona or in Florida, yes, hope does spring eternal despite the fact that we're 31 days away from spring. But here we are looking ahead to some blue skies, some sunshine, 70 degree weather, the cut green grass, the white lines. Well, again, I'm just trying to paint the rosy and beautiful picture of warmer days and beautiful days ahead. Although we're still in the midst of a winter here in the Northeast. Granted, it hasn't been super cold and it hasn't been snowy. But there's still plenty of time between now and opening day. But again, I could at least paint some beautiful thoughts and beautiful pictures of what uh, spring is like and a baseball season. But the one thing that I cannot paint a rosy picture is what's happening in Queens these days with the New York Mets. And I get that people say, oh, here goes J Reels on a rant about the Mets. Well, you're damn right it's going to be about the Mets because... Just when we thought that the guy was going to come in on the white horse with the white hat and his name was Steve Cohen. Well, be that as it may, the plug was pulled on the rumor that Steve Cohen was going to come in and put his $2.3 billion on the table to take over 80% of this franchise and hopefully lead it to the promised land to the point where we could procure players. Yeah, not spend like drunken sailors, but... Not going to an offseason thinking that we can't get a guy like Mookie Betts Garrett Cole Anthony Rendon, etc So now what's left of the rubble Out at City Field Is a deal that will not take place That the Wilpons will say what they're going to say Because they think that As much as they want to stay mum and quiet about it They're going to come out and Say that this wasn't a friendly deal for them From the financial side, of course, everybody's going to look at the blame being at Steve Cohen, where maybe he just took his money and ran because he didn't want to deal with the Wilpons. And it's weird because when you have both sides of the story, because right, you're going to have Rob Manfred, the commissioner of baseball, he's going to look at this as protecting the Ponds. Remember, Steve Cohen, despite the fact that he has very, what is it, 8% of the team? He doesn't have a majority stake. So, of course, he's going to side on the Wilpons because he's their boss. He's the one that's got to, they're his boss, I should say. They're the ones that he needs to look out for, not Steve Cohen. So, when you have Manfred sticking up for the Wilpons, the Wall Street guys and the CNBCs of the world sticking up for Steve Cohen, and then all that's left is, a team that seems to be rudderless Or should say an organization that seems to be rudderless That seems as if There's no direction That they cannot come to an agreement on Selling their shares of the team To a one Steve Cohen Because the early reports were that He wanted demands There was supposed to be this big gala At City Field to start off the year And they want to pump the brakes on that Now of course we're not in the room We don't know what took place We don't know what happened Etc, cetera, etc cetera. But all we do know is that Steve Cohen and his $2.3 billion Who's worth $13 billion Is not coming to rescue the Mets And their fans anytime soon Well how about anytime at all Now the Wilpons And I'm going to take it from both that both sides But I'll start with the Wilpons The said As much as the confidentiality And the non-disclosure agreement That we're not going to comment any further And we're certainly going to keep mum about it Alright that's fine That's typical Will Ponds Are you surprised about that? No But the one thing for sure And they put it out there That the team is for sale They also need to Address the fans To And again People could say Oh it's none of your business Jay Reels Or none of the fans business Well it is our business You know why? Who are the ones that pay for all this? Not only just the players But also the concessions The I'm sure to a certain extent The advertising Merchandise etc Who are the ones that pay for all that? Us! The fans, the consumers, the bottom line is is that they need to address their fans on the situation of this and not just by saying that, oh, we're looking for more owners who's willing to come forth and put a bid on this team. That's not enough. We need to know what is in the mind of Jeff Wilpon. Fred, as we all know, we understand he's a part of this and he's going to have his influence and rightfully so, he's on the team forever, but this is Jeff's baby. And Jeff needs to put this out there to us to say, we still want to have most of the control. We want it to be 5149. We want it to be whatever it is. Or yes, if that person is going to come in and bring their truckload of money to our organization, we still want to be a part of it. As you heard that they were going to be in cahoots with Steve Cohen to the point that they were going to be here five years after this deal was supposed to be consummated no, now we're wondering where if somebody comes in and backs up the truck, I mean, Jeff Bezos could walk in there and bring all of his Amazon money, but then Jeff will to come out and say, well, yeah, well, I want to dictate and I want to make all the decisions for this team, but yes, give me your money. I, how does that work in life? That's like me saying, all right, I have this million-dollar home. Yes, it may have three wings and a zillion bedrooms, but yeah, and I'll sell you my home. No problem. You Oh, you want to pay me $150 million for the home? Great. But guess what? Not only do I still want to have my part of the wing in this house, but I'm going to pick the maid. I'm going to pick the landscaper. I'm going to pick the chef. I'm going to come and go as I please. I'm still going to leave the 10 cars out in the garage so you can only have spots for two. How does that work in life? Come on, Jeff Wilpon. I mean, seriously? And in some of these reports that you hear with Jeff Wilpon, which are just preposterous, To the point where I believe it was in the New York Post Where one source An insider had said that The thing with Jeff Wolpon is Is that it's tough for him Not only to give up the team But he'll have nothing to do Well what does that have to do with us? If you know that somebody's going to Hand over 2.3 billion dollars And you may not have a lot of hobbies You may not have a lot of things You want to do off the field Or whatever Well guess what? This fan base is sick of looking at your face and it's sad because you rarely stick your face out to address the fans as it is to begin with. So how is it on us to continue to suffer, to continue to have to deal with heartache, heartbreak, disappointment, frustration, etc. And it's almost as if he's doing this out of spite because I'm sure he gets an earful wherever he goes. Sell the team, give it up. You're not long for this job anymore. Stop torturing the fans. And he probably looks at it as like, well, guess what? This is my team. I can do whatever I want. So I'm going to continue to puff my chest out and give the two mental middle fingers up to the fans to say tough. And that's just not right. It's not. And right. Who am I to tell Jeff Wolfon to sell the team? Who am I to tell him what to do with his life? Who am I to tell him what to do with his business? Because, right, I'm just one out of God knows how many Met fans out here that are just suffering and just struggling and everything. The bottom line is, is that, and I've said this time and time again, they are not to be trusted. So to me, I don't care if the good Lord himself comes down and hands over everything. Until I see that signature on the dotted line, then I'll say thank goodness. Because even as this news broke a few months ago, I may have said, wow, this could possibly happen. Great. But as I said before, I need to believe it when I see it. And that's it. It's just sad. It's the team, as we've said time and time again, is run like a mid-market team. You know, you would think we live in Pittsburgh or Kansas City, Cincinnati. And look, Cincinnati made some moves this offseason, so I can't even put them pretty much in the mix. But it's just a disgrace you know how can you get controlling share of the team if you're trying to sell it? I, I just I don't understand it. I gave you the analogy the analogy with the house. I, I can't put that any better than that. And I get that maybe when you look back on the history of this thing, when they tried to sell in 2011, and I get that was the whole Bernie Madoff situation. David Einhorn, who was a little bit of a character from what you read, and of course that didn't work out. All right, fine. But then now Steve Cohen, the guy's a Met fan. He's got all this money. And we understand They're tied to They're tied to this team They're tied to this Stadium I mean think about it That city field Is something that Fred Wilpon Has dreamt of For Forever Why do you think There's a Jackie Robinson Rotunda in that stadium Because of his love For the Brooklyn Dodgers Why is it that The Met fan And a lot of the critics Early on said Hey Why is this Stadium Empty Or bereft of not only just met memorabilia, but just met anything to the point where they had to put up stuff to show that it's the Mets ballpark. Why did it take so long? And this could go back to when they were, had Shea Stadium. Why did it take so long? And then now, sadly, that he has dementia, that Tom Seaver's going to have a statue and a street named after him. It's like their focus is on so many other things but the team. And sadly, the team that plays six miles in the other borough in the Bronx they're on top of this sucker like you wouldn't believe. It's sick that they retire everybody's number, you know, known to man and that gets exhausting and just downright dumb but guess what? At least they're in touch with their organization and obviously they have the tradition unlike any other to the point where it's a little bit too much but that's the Yankees for you. And the Mets are the complete opposite. But alright, let me digress because I'm, now I'm going into rabbit holes that I shouldn't be going into right now and it just... It's just all the frustration That's coming out people So that's all there is to it So let's see what happens With the Mets moving forward With this disaster So that's what we have there As far as off the field is concerned Now you had a lot of news And interestingly enough With Major League Baseball this year was kind of reminiscent To the NBA Where And the reason why I say that Is because As we all know Free agency with the NBA was July 1st Although now It pretty much starts June 28th Because all these players Seem to know where they're going Before that and News gets leaked out Prior to the free agency period Whether you have that You have some trades Maybe a little drama You had that with Major League Baseball This offseason You know a lot of the big free agents For them Signed early Unlike last year With Manny Machado Bryce Harper We know who the free agents are And where they signed And when they signed Then you had the Sign stealing scandal Down in Houston And the After effects of what happened In Boston Considering the Personnel that was involved And even in New York With Beltron. So you had that to chew on And then now you have Pitches and catches this week Where You have a team That doesn't have a manager And I'm going to get to that later on That said team Boston Red Sox Now that I can put it out there Trade their best player And a generational player Mookie Betts To the chagrin of everybody up in Beantown As he goes to LA And that deal is finally official Because of the Health of a one Bruised Dog Gratterall And that's pretty much Held up the deal not knowing what the physical and what his health was going to be like moving forward to have this trade completed, but now it's official, so all parties that were involved will have their players, whether it's Betts and Price to LA, obviously Alex Verdugo, the young player from the Dodgers, going to Boston, and then Kenton Maeda going from the Dodgers to Minnesota, and then Minnesota trading the aforementioned Gratterall to Boston. So you had that last week, and where Jock Peterson now, who was traded from the Dodgers to the Angels now that deal for whatever the reason the Angels took that back and said uh-uh we don't want to complete it so now Jock Peterson now could you imagine he doesn't have a position the Dodgers are going to have to trade him at some point and it's sad because the reason why they traded Jock Peterson knowing that they were bringing in Mookie Betts your outfield is now crowded where you have Belliger in center Betts in right and then you had a platoon pretty much in left where it was AJ Pollock and also Enrique Hernandez, and they're both right handed hitters, but Pollock was going to be the starter considering that they signed him to that deal last year from the Arizona Diamondbacks. So there was pretty much no place to put Peterson. And now, chances are he's going to have to report here unless they find a deal for him at some point here over the course of the next few weeks or certainly throughout spring training. But obviously, that's their issue to deal with. So you had that come up the pike. And Peterson I thought was going to be a pretty good addition Considering that that lineup When you have Trout Upton Obviously Rendon that they've imported from Washington And aging Pujols I mean, That's a very good offensive team Shohei Otani But now with Peterson Getting sent back to LA from Anaheim Let's see where he goes Or what his next stop will be Because chances are The Dodgers are going to do whatever it takes To try to ship him somewhere else You also had James Paxton Speaking of the Yankees He's going to be sidelined Three to four months now With back surgery So Three to four months I understand that seems like an eternity And I'm sure the Yankee fans are saying Uh oh here we go again with the injuries Now remember They have a whole new Strength conditioning Team That's in play So you probably don't have to worry about I don't know about the medical staff But having the strength and conditioning team In the fold there For the Yankees You would think that they'll have uh, Better results With their players come this year but with Paxton now three to four months and remember if he had his surgery today you're talking July. So it's almost as if you're having a trade or even June because we're in June. Yeah, so you're talking May, June to have him back and I'm sure they're going to take their time because you have the stud in Garrett Cole. Obviously, you have Severino. You could have a bunch of other players that could fill in there with well, his Jordan Montgomery coming back from the Tommy John surgery. I know Domingo Herman. he's going to be on the show for 63 games because of the whole Domestic violence uh, incident that he had You have of course Masahiro Tanaka So the Yankees are going to be fine with just starting pitching I certainly wouldn't cry wolf right now If you're the Yankees Because Paxton is going to be Out for now three to four months Now the one thing I would worry about is that if he has a killer season Are you going to pay him big bucks Coming off the heels of that injury and some of the injuries That he had experienced last year so Just to keep that in the back of your mind When it comes to free agency and then the other thing as far as uh, baseball related, I know Pete Rose chimed in last week after the scandal there down in Houston and everything that ensued afterwards. You know, him chiming in that, well, listen, if the Astros cheated and some of their players should be reprimanded, etc. And obviously, when you think about the Hall of Fame, that I should be finally have the my opportunity to go into Cooperstown. Uh, it's probably not the right time for Pete Rose to say that. I get that he's getting up there in age. Was he 79 years old? In my mind and heart, he's a Hall of Famer. I get that you want to make it official by putting the plaque in there, et cetera. Et cetera. And Pete Rose should have known better To He has not said anything in years. And I get he's probably had to bite his tongue. But was this time the right time to come out and say it? And Especially when you're throwing in the Astros. As far as that being used to catapult yourself into the conversation to put yourself into the Hall of Fame. Uh, not good And Pete Rose You know Obviously his agenda is going He's going to look out for himself And I get that But if you've laid low All this time And knowing that Your day may come It may And I would think It would come maybe Next year Considering If the Hall of Fame Elects Barry Bonds Or Roger Clemens Into the Hall of Fame The Accused steroid users Chances are Pete Rose is going to be Right after that At some point during that offseason To finally get his name And his plaque And his presence into the Hall of Fame So we'll certainly See how that uh, shakes down I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon But of course Pete Rose Will always make himself relevant He certainly did last week So that's what you have with the baseball Alright people Are you ready for some XFL football? Yes We did talk about the NFL not exiting stage right, but now the XFL rears its hopefully better head this time around, unlike 20 years ago when you had Rod Smart, he hate me, and you had the girls in the hot tub, and you had the ball at the 50-yard line, and two guys wrestling for it at the bottom of the pile. I mean, the one good thing that came out of it was the Sky Cam, which was revolutionary on their part, and that goes to the XFL 1,000%. But yesterday I was out at MetLife Stadium Covering That's right You heard that underline Covering the New York Guardians Who are the New York team And for those who don't know There are eight teams in the XFL Uh, I don't know all the names I can tell you the cities though That's for sure But yesterday I didn't know what I was going into Considering You could base the reputation of the Previous version of the XFL Thinking that it's going to be somewhere similar to that Obviously with certain rule changes They're making the game faster Which I kind of like 25 second play clock We know the NFL's 40 Not only that But to keep the game moving If there's an incomplete pass Obviously in the NFL The clock stops automatically Until the next play starts Here what they do is If there is an incomplete Or a player runs out of bounds What they'll do is they'll line up They'll start the 25 second play clock And when it gets down to 20 They start the clock again Which I think is pretty good Because it does speed up the game a little bit And the kickoffs are different And there's a couple other rules and wrinkles in the game that certainly are trying to bring eyeballs to the sets. Is it some of a gimmicky? Yeah, it is. I do like the kickoff though. The kickoff I think is pretty fascinating from the standpoint of you have both teams lined up on the opposite side of the field. I believe it's at the 35 and the ball where it's kicked off, it's just the kicker himself. It's not like your standard regular NFL kickoff where everybody's running at the same time. But the thing is, is that the ball... Cannot be kicked out of bounds Because it's an automatic penalty Which just happens in the NFL But if you Kick it off And it's a touchback The ball spotted at the 35 Not the 20 The Ball if it's kicked shorter Then I believe Like the 30 yard line That's also a penalty There's all these little wrinkles in it Where I think it makes the game intriguing And I will say this The 17,634 fans And that's right 17,000 And if you're watching at home Or watching on TV Of course, the upper deck and the mezzanine, the two levels above the lower section of the stadium, there are no seats. They're not selling seats for those. Obviously, they want to get the lower bowl and everybody involved in the seats or whatever, 30 bucks. But I will say this, the crowd was into it. And I was very surprised that for a team that nobody knows, there's only one player that you could even, if you're a diehard NFL fan, you know who he is. It's Matt McGloin, the quarterback who Played in the NFL, I believe, back in 2015 for the Raiders. And he played, I think, six games. He won his first start and then he lost to the last five or six games. He may have played seven games. But he's the only guy of note that's on that team. So it's not as if you have a bunch of has-beens or cast-offs that are on this team. Yeah, you have a bunch of practice squad players, which are the majority of the players in this league, that are either undrafted players that didn't make it to the NFL or practice squad players that didn't stick on or latch onto a team. That's pretty much what you have here. And for the crowd to get into it, the rules which you know it speed up the game everything that I mentioned before and then on top of that to have an in-game DJ to kind of keep everything moving keep it flowing which I don't really like to me that's all extra stuff and it just it's too much entertainment it's sensory overload but you know what because the game is fast-paced and they had the DJ in between plays kind of like an NBA game So when you're watching a team bring the ball to court And they'll play some hip-hop tracks Or some techno tracks Whatever it is That's what you kind of get here in the XFL But it works And what I saw yesterday The product wasn't half bad either Now there were some bad drops in the game I know there was a couple of third down conversions On both sides Where the ball was right in their hands And if you're going to Try to parlay this into an NFL career uh, Those are balls you have to catch in your sleep but the product on the field was not bad. Guardians went down the field on their opening drive and scored a touchdown. Matt McGloin in the end zone converted on a fourth down on a nice pass. And you had some very interesting plays in the game. Had a couple of hard hits. You had one personal foul for unnecessary roughness. But it was a it was entertaining. And like I said, the fans were into it. So the main thing is, when you look at it from the grand scheme of things, is it going to stick this time around? And that's all there is to it. Now you can't bank everything on one weekend or one game. As I read some of the reviews on Twitter from certain, whether it's athletes or whomever it may be, just the average fan, people actually were liking it. And I said to myself, I said, all right, so I went into it with an open mind, and I was gonna go into an open mind yesterday as it was. But what I saw was actually better than I expected. If this is a league that could thrive and be a, I'm not gonna say a minor league. Because remember this goes It's 10 weeks So I believe the championship game Is the week after Easter Or right around Easter April 12th Somewhere around there And of course at that time That's when you have NFL the, the draft hasn't even taken place At that time So If these players are Going to jump to the NFL Of course they're put on notice They're For everybody to see And they're on all the networks too Fox ESPN Yesterday's game was on Fox Which is good and that helps because if they were just on some network or they one of the Games on ESPN and all the other games were on some you know third rate channel ESPN 5 Or whatever it is and I'm being silly when I say that then the league isn't going to Go anywhere but when you have and the times I think are even better too which foiled the XFL the first time around because I remember those games were at night some of those XFL Games nobody wants to sit in a stadium Saturday or Sunday night in February Watching a product that nobody knows about. But when you have it two in the afternoon, or even a five o'clock game as you get deeper into the winter and spring, although it's not going to be 70 degrees or off the bat, but I think for two and five o'clock is perfect. It's not one in five, you know, it's not one in four thirty, or just like the NFL, and they don't want to carbon copy of the NFL. They want to put their own stamp on the fans and even just the casual fan. To come on out to the games And I will say this Hopefully they Become successful This first time around And maybe this could be something That the league could thrive on Down the road It's going to take a lot of work And people have to look at it Bottom line is This is not the NFL They can't expect an NFL product here But if it's good If it's entertaining If it's less gimmicky Then we'll see Is it a guarantee? I can't sit here right now And say that Oh yeah this is going to work This is great Week one No it's only one week into this thing you know, let's see what happens when we get to middle of the season or even like get to the postseason where people get more familiar with it. And we'll see. I will say this. I hope it thrives. Because what I saw yesterday and what I watched if it was me at home on a Sunday, eh, probably not. I'm going to be honest. But at the same time, if but if I was flicking through the channels and no, oh, this game is on, let me see what it's like. Let me watch a quarter of it. Let me. I, it's, it's not that I'd be averse to watching it. But you know what, being out there, feeling the energy, talking with other people in the media, things of that nature, who knows? Hopefully people will write good things about it and as long as they stick to their own lane and try to be just the XFL and not try to be the NFL plus or NFL light or anything like that, then who knows? Maybe it can succeed. But uh, as we all know, it uh, remains to be seen. And uh, lastly, let's see, what else do we have here? Oh two quickies Before we say goodbye The college basketball I know that They had the crazy game The other night With Duke and North Carolina And North Carolina Is a show Their old selves They're having a down year We understand Their best player Cole Anthony Was hurt He's now back Duke had a game That they had No business winning They were down 13 points With four and a half Minutes to go And down five With 20 seconds to go And they pulled off A miracle At North Carolina Pretty much what it boils down to Was the last two plays of the game In regulation and in overtime Now we understand North Carolina Missed a bunch of free throws Which could have iced the game And obviously they couldn't convert On both sides of the floor They couldn't make a big shot there To put themselves At least in position To have a cushion But when you have Trey Jones And this was the crazy thing How many times have you seen this And it's been successful more recently Not only in college But even in the pros Where A player misses a free throw In this case Trey Jones Misses it And then he gets the ball back And then makes the jumper there To tie the game To put it into overtime And then you had the Wendell Moore Jr. put back there To ice the game at 98-96 It was reminiscent Of uh, NC State and Houston there The 1983 uh, National Championship game What was that? Uh, Derek Wittenberg Lorenzo Charles With the uh, putback, And the Jim Valvano Who was Running around the court Like a crazy man Couldn't believe what uh, Just took place And what happened If uh, to take you back In the day But uh, that was just A shocker At Tobacco Road Just a tough loss For North Carolina Who's having just A brutal year I mean at 10 and 13 And 3 and 9 in the league uh, That's all you need to know About North Carolina This year So they're certainly Not going to do anything This year Barring them winning The ACC tournament But as it looks right now They'll be lucky To even get to a semifinal Let alone the Conference championship final But as far as an overall feel for college basketball right now, and I kind of touched on it last week, it's amazing to think that you may have four number one teams where one of those four teams is a team that you'd say, oh, yeah, Kansas, no problem. All right, but where's Duke? Where's Michigan State? Where's Villanova? Where's Kentucky? Where's North Carolina? Those teams are nowhere to be found. As it is right now, your top four seeds, if the tournament were to start this Thursday, Would be Baylor, Gonzaga, Kansas And the undefeated team in the nation, San Diego State Now just think about that for a minute You would have those teams As one seeds For the March Madness tournament That would take place About five weeks from this coming Thursday That's right, it's a long pause Because when you don't hear those other teams That are usually up at the top of the bracket and knowing that you have San Diego State San Diego State And that's not to Throw cold water on them That's not to look at What they've done so far this year And be like ah But here's the thing Would you be surprised That if they're a one seed this year That they lose in the first round A la Virginia two years ago In a historic fashion towards the it University of Maryland Baltimore County Now this would be the year You'd see a pickoff off of 16 over 1 If it falls like this And again That's not to knock the Baylors and Gonzaga Now Gonzaga's They've been a fixture in the tournament Over the years We've seen that but anything could happen here Over the course of the next month As we all know I mean could you imagine Dayton being one of the You know being a top seed Could it happen? Eh This college basketball season Is as unpredictable As it's ever been So who knows But That's just something to think about Something to when you look ahead And see what the Landscape is going to be For March Madness That you're not going to see The likes And again A lot could change Maybe Duke could get up there Duke right now appeared a two seed In some bracket Probably in the East As they always are But that's the one thing I found fascinating in looking at college basketball and looking at those top seeds. And it's it's, particularly San Diego State. And if I'm saying San Diego State right now, I would lose a game between now and the tournament. Because, and I'm sure they will. There's no way they're going to run the table going into the tournament. Because if they do, they will probably lose in the first round because the pressure will just be insurmountable. But all the other teams, they've been stout. They've been tough. They've played well. Now, I haven't followed... Every game tooth and nail, as we all know. But again, this is why when that sports dead zone, I could concentrate on a lot of what's happening here. College basketball, and again, we're not going to really get into it and ramped up until the middle of March. But here we are now on February the 10th, taking a look at uh, what the college basketball landscape as it is today. And lastly, I know I skipped the uh, couple of NFL news and notes. Let me touch on that real quick. I know Eric Weddle retired, the former San Diego slash LA Charger, Baltimore Raven, and Los Angeles Ram player. Had a very good career, six Pro Bowls, 12 seasons, I believe. So he figures it's time to hang up the cleats. Good for him. And also Jacksonville, now they're going to play two home games in London next year. It's just an absolute joke. I get why they're doing it. But it's just a disgrace to think that they're taking 25% of their home games from the Jaguars And listen I'm not going to shed a tear for them By any stretch But It just goes to show you That the NFL It's all With them it's all about money As we get And we understand But the NFL prints money And they figure If they could get An extra game From Jacksonville there Because they know They can't sell their own building Down in Duval County Down there in Florida They should just relocate I mean that's all there is to it Find them another city Move them somewhere Because It's just a disgrace It just is And you know how I feel about The NFL playing games in London Or even Mexico for that matter So That's what you have there with the NFL And then finally Guys know that I'm not into MMA I know John Jones is pretty much I say Conor McGregor Was important for the MMA And what he did a couple weeks ago But as controversial as John Jones is He's going to bring eyeballs to the sets and he did so the other night, and I, I get it was under a little bit of controversy, beating Dominic Reyes. It was controversial to the standpoint it was unanimous, but it shouldn't have been that way. A lot of the people scored the fight, even with Reyes possibly winning, which, I, again, I didn't see the fight. And I, I understand people are going to say, well, Jay Reels, if you didn't see the fight, why are you even talking about it? Well, the only reason why I'm bringing it up is because I know Jones is a big figure in the sport. I know he's a guy that has his own controversy, which I don't need to get into. You guys, well, know a lot more than I do as far as performance-enhancing drugs are concerned and suspensions and things like that. But it makes you think that if you have a controversy such as this, what lies down the road for other fights with some of your big box office draws when it comes to MMA? Now, that's the one thing. I haven't heard of a lot. Of controversies when it comes to this It's certainly not like boxing As we've seen controversy after controversy After controversy with that sport And that goes back to the beginning of time So that's nothing recent But you just only hope that the MMA doesn't resort to WWE No offense to the wrestling fans out there But it doesn't resort to that to the point where You're going to wonder whether or not That this person deserved to win Or oh man that was a landslide And then it's like huh split decision Or whatever it is So that's the only reason why I bring it up Because I could see this not being a trend Not being a thing where it's going to happen more often than not But this could raise an eyebrow To a guy like me who's not an MMA guy To wonder about some of these dubious judges Or these scorecards or whatever it may be And I'm trying people Now if I tried I could have watched the fight I get that 1000% It's not my cup of tea though but I know in due time I'll have somebody from MMA on And Obviously when we have whether Hopefully not by controversy But a big match or Big event That I'll have somebody on to discuss And further educate me To see why I should watch this A lot more With a lot more intent And a lot more focus Than I haven't done so in the past To me it's just too brutal of a sport And too barbaric And that comes from a guy Who's watched football his whole life And loved boxing up until like The last 10 years But you get what I'm saying so that's what we have, people. Let's get to uh, my hero and zero of the week. My hero of the week, I'm giving it to the San Francisco 49er running back, Raheem Mostert. Because what he said the other day on Twitter by returning the jersey of a one-Damian Williams, the Super Bowl jersey that he wore, considering the type of game he had: 17 rushes, 104 yards, he had a couple of touchdowns, one rushing, one receiving. Knowing that he put it out there in the universe And he put it out on Twitter Says that "Ah, You know I can't do this He's a guy that Was undrafted like me And I'm sure you saw The NFL Films video at the end They're in the tunnel And Damian Williams He was the guy that came out and says Hey give me that man Give me that Meaning give me his jersey And they swapped jerseys right then and there And Mostert He came out He said maybe He was thinking about putting it on eBay Which And a guy like Mostert Who's been on a million teams And cut by A million and one And stuck on with the Niners here And not knowing if he's going to hit that future payday he probably looked at that as an opportunity to make some money but he thought otherwise he thought better and did the right thing by not just selling it but sending it back to him so kudos to you my man you're my hero of the week and my zero of the week the Boston Red Sox it is February the 10th and we get that the Alex Cora fallout and that investigation hasn't come to fruition as far as that suspension is concerned and who's going to be involved and so on and so forth. Well, you know what you got to do, guys? Hire a manager that was not a part of your staff. It's as simple as that. And with pitches and catches reporting, what's going to happen? Everybody's going to show up on whatever the opening day, whether it's tomorrow or the 12th or whatever it may be, and there's not going to be a manager until John Henry and company, Tom Werner, the Kennedy, they, they got to get it together. They are acting like a third-rate franchise. And this is a team that won a World Series 16 months ago. So just that alone, they're my zeros of the week. All right, my good people. I appreciate you downloading and listening to this content. Thank you so much, as always, each and every week for listening to what it is I have to say about what goes on in the world of sports. And uh, I would like to ask you, please, or implore you to participate in on the outside if you can to get the word out on this podcast to many others and I'm sure everybody has social media out there so for all the sports fans who like what they've listened to today or in the past or love what they listen to or even if they say oh that J Reels is cranky sometimes oh that J Reels he's over the top or whatever it may be please just share that with your friends on social media screenshot it send it to me tag me whatever it may be because I'll be sure to spread that Love around to everybody else who's not familiar with the J Reels podcast. And it's real simple, people. All you have to do is go to wherever you get your podcasts. Whether it's on Apple, Google, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeart, Radio, Luminary, CastBox, whatever, Player FM. Wherever you get your podcasts from. All I'd like for you to do is just hit subscribe. Not only post the rating, but also leave a review. Give me whatever. I would love five stars, of course. You want to give me four? Whatever it may be, I don't care. But as long as you do that. Post a rating as well Leave a review All that's going to do Is increase the visibility Of this podcast Amongst all the other ones Out there In the podcast universe And not even just The sports people But just everywhere else And in hopes to generate Not only just the interest But also the visibility For those outside Whether I'm trying to get Guests on the podcast Whether it's former athletes Current athletes because the visibility of that Will spike up And people will be Wait what is this J Reels podcast about So I would need your help In that regard And if you could please do so On wherever platform You listen to podcasts Again I would greatly appreciate it You could also Hit me up on any of my Social media accounts Feel free to do so On Instagram At J Reels Twitter J Reels One Just a number The J Reels podcast On my Facebook fan page And The J Reels Gmail Or I should say The J Reels podcast At gmail.com If you want to send me an email Or hit me up in the DMs And with any questions Comments Criticism Praise Whatever it may be And I'll be sure To get back to you And then lastly If you want to support The podcast As far as Production is concerned The stuff that goes on Behind the scenes With the Whether it's equipment Whether it's Merchandising Which I hope At some point down the road Maybe Advertising Things of that nature Just the overall Production of this podcast You could do so On my Patreon page That's www.patreon P A T R E O N dot com slash the j reels podcast again i would be forever grateful and thankful for your not only participation but for your contribution whatever it may be because as you well know each and every week and hopefully twice a week once i get those, those guests to start to come in with your help because as you well know i love to talk about everything that's going on in the world of the diamond the world of the ice the world of the gridiron the world of hardwood golf course racetrack tennis court you name it from my lips to your ears from my heart to your soul from where i am to wherever you are the J Reels Podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx to South Beach to South Central to South Pacific and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J Reels Podcast on the Flip Baby.